<laughs> All right, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to Technically Speaking, a NatWest podcast where we're exploring the issues that we're seeing in this ever expanding world of tech. I'm one of your hosts, Wincy Wong. Hi, I'm Borja Karaberg, your other host. Today's podcast is all about leadership in the tech industry. Tech has taken control of so many parts of our day-to-day lives now. And these tech leaders drive the industry. They decide what technology we need and what we will get. And we've become so dependent now on what they give us. We're making decisions every day on the information that we're getting from them. So who are these tech leaders and what kinds of leaders do they need to be in order to be in charge? This topic is interesting to me because as a bank, we've gone through periods of freedom and periods of regulation. And right now, I feel as if we're moving more towards needing regulation in tech as well. So at NatWest, we've had to become more of a tech and digital company in order to succeed So when we look at the next generation of things that we're doing, what are the types of leaders we want to be in power? So that's exactly it. What kind of a leader do we need in order to cope with the current state of things? Do we need someone who can push back against these large tech organizations? Do we need a tech specialist or do we need more of a renaissance person? Someone who's more of a generalist, who's good at everything. To that end, to help us with our discussion, we've invited two guests to speak to us. First up is Chris Matyszczyk. He is a tech writer, among many other things, and is based in Silicon Valley. We're hoping that he'll be able to give us a view of how things look at the moment in the tech mecca. What makes a good leader and who are the best leaders in tech right now? He's speaking to us from just outside of San Francisco. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Okay, so since you're in the kind of tech mecca in Silicon Valley, run us through what the state of tech is like over there right now. The state of tech. Well, you know those heist movies where the bad guys got most of the cash into their bag out of the safe, but there's still some more. So they're desperate to grab all of it. But on the other hand, they hear the police sirens coming and then they don't know whether to grab all the cash or to run. And then someone says, don't worry, it's the British police. They don't have any guns. We're going to be fine. It's a little bit like that. You know, for so long, Silicon Valley leaders have managed to make ungodly amounts of money without any anybody putting the brakes on them whatsoever. And part of the reason was because they believed they were far more clever than anyone else. And they just wanted everyone else to get out of the way. They also used splendid tactics to hook us. And of course, we were the dumb ones because we got hooked. And suddenly, out of the blue, they're realizing that they might get GASP regulated. What I'm hearing is that leaders in the tech industry or even in tech in firms like uh, Bank are very confused about how to move forward. Would you say that's correct? I think it's absolutely correct because the pull on the one hand is always to make more money. It's always to create scale as soon as possible. It doesn't matter 
how big your company is in Silicon Valley, the first thing people respond to is scale. So you want to get as many users for whatever little gadget you have, whatever little piece of dreadful software you have, you want to get as many users as possible. I think one question that's worth asking, and I don't know the answer to it, is whether there will be a global internet. Because there's definitely a sense that China will have its own internet. The West, which, however the West is configured in the future, and who knows what that'll be, will have its own internet. So will the same scale be possible or will it all become much more regionalized? So I guess, you know, there's no incentive really for these companies to change themselves or their leaders who are currently in place, right? So who else is going to force them out of this comfort zone that they're currently in, even if they're confused, they're probably going to perpetuate what's currently going on anyway. Well, I think the answer to that is nation states. Private companies know more about us than our governments do. That is the current situation. And you can decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, listening to you talk about the, the leaders of today and the scary picture that, that we're in, because as tech starts to control more and more of our lives. Do you have an opinion on who do you think the leaders should be? <laughs> if I could find them for you, I'd take my usual 20%, 20% and um, I'd get every Silicon Valley company to hire them. Look, I think there's a great dichotomy between the likes of Apple CEO Tim Cook, who I think genuinely believes in humanity still. And I think there's a great contrast between the kind of tech that he ascribes to and the kind of tech that the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, for example, ascribes to. Uh, I mean, there's a great irony where Facebook now has been in so many scandals and still it comes out and says, don't worry, we're going to operate a Bitcoin and trust us, trust us. Everything's going to be great. And no, 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 we won't be controlling it. They double down instead of actually stopping to think and reconsider what they've created and how they've created it. They actually keep doubling down. On the other hand, when you look at Stanford, where a lot of tech leaders come from, suddenly this year, they're exploring the teaching of ethics, society and technology. Now, would you believe that the president of Stanford, Mark Tessier-Lavigne, said to the FT not so long ago, you know, maybe some forethought seven to 10 years ago would have been helpful. Um, yeah, it would have been helpful because we may not have been in quite the parlous situation that I think we are now. So in answer to your question, where are we going to get tech leaders from? I think it's going to be the hard way because, you know, if all startups start getting someone who's, who understands GDPR and ethics, if more people come out of universities that seem to create these tech leaders have more of an emphasis on ethics and on the essence of what it is to be human even, never mind ethics. What is the profile of a future tech leader in your eyes? I, I think that that's a sort of rational thought is what sort of thing should they study. If you ask yourself, where did Steve Jobs come from? Well, nowhere, really. There was nothing in his background that said he would be a tech leader. He happened to be inspirational. He happened to be creative. And You'd want a hell of a lot more people who have that independent attitude. On the one hand, understanding what tech can and can not do, does and does not do, and be able to actually want to create things to lift the human spirit as opposed to create a system that controls the human spirit. And that can come, in, to my mind, from any discipline. Wouldn't it be great if we had a bunch of philosophers running tech companies? That would be 
extremely entertaining, wouldn't it? So just to guide this conversation a little, are you essentially saying that the tech leader of the future needs to be a tech specialist that has become well-rounded? Or would you say that it's someone who hasn't studied tech, but that can understand tech in later life? Which do you think is more important? I think you have to be much more well-rounded first, and you have to know what you're trying to create and what kind of society you're trying to contribute to. Lots of people are growing up with tech from their very early age now, so one hopes so one hopes that you wouldn't have to be such a tech expert to create companies that actually genuinely, quote, make the world a better place, which is what all these tech companies used to say. And now suddenly they've got egg all over their faces because they're looking at it and going, maybe we haven't made the world so much of a better place. You know, one of the things that you see time and time again in leadership magazines, in management magazines, is that the leader of the future needs to exploit new opportunities. How can someone who doesn't have that technical background possibly know how to exploit these new developments? Well, but you're assuming that you have to have a technical background to exploit new opportunities. Not necessarily. So many products are created by looking at human behavior and wondering how to make that human behavior easier, happier. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you yourself have to have the technical capabilities. After all, Steve Jobs didn't. Steve Wozniak did. And Steve Wozniak was the one who did most of the technical stuff. And that's just an example. I know people use Apple as, as an example a lot, but it's possible. Jobs was the spirit. So I guess my point is more that, you know, we're talking about monetizing data and where the majority of developments are happening and what is growing rapidly. Well, we know that tech is growing rapidly. We know that monetization of data is where all companies are heading, not just the tech sector, right? Everyone wants to start monetizing the data they have inherent to their organizations, which is why there's been such a huge, huge drive to hire more data scientists. So, you know, on the one hand, you say that in order to stay profitable, one needs to be aware they need to monetize data. On the other hand, you're saying that the tech leader of the future doesn't need to be a technical person. To me, there's like a, it's disjointed. The the way that the future is going, which is more heavily engaged in tech, doesn't necessarily fit with where our leaders are right now. Well, it doesn't. But are you really telling me human life is consistent? It's also worth thinking about how much technology has contributed to both inequality and divisiveness, which are both aspects that occur in so many societies now. And when you look at the future, how technology is going to develop, you know, give you an example of Ray Kurzweil, one of the most famous futurists in the world, has the title I believe he still has the title Google Director of Engineering. He dreams of the day when he can have a chip in his head. He believes it will happen within the next 30 years. He believes it will make us godlike. And when asked why, what, how would it improve his life to have a chip in his head? He said, well, every time I see Larry Page walking down the Google campus, I never know what to say to him. But if I had a chip in my head, the chip would be able to tell me a good joke. Yeah, the art of manipulation will become much more fine-tuned because that's what we need, more manipulation, right? It's exactly. And, and honestly, the saddest part of that is I think he was being serious. I mean, I once went to the Singularity Summit, which is the joyous convening of incredibly intelligent people who are all dreaming of becoming robots. Now, 
you know, it sounds fanciful, but the technology is developing rapidly. We already know that people are actually having, you know, little chips inserted in their wrists in order to get into their offices in Sweden and not just in Sweden, I hear. Um, so what happens then? Right. So exactly. Right. So these people are going to be the people influencing the the future, the next decade, the next two decades. So are we really saying that tech leaders shouldn't have to be technical in order to be leaders? They need to understand what's going on at these summits in order to engage without being 10 years out of date, right? I understand. Absolutely agree that they need to understand what's going on. They don't have to be tech experts in the sense of being able to do the mechanics of it. And I think understanding what is going on, of course, it's absolutely vital. And understanding how you can make what's going on better for society. So based on what you're seeing at the moment, I think that's what I'm interested to see is, well, from your opinion, what does it take to become a leader? Um, we, we don't have to call it a tech leader, but just a leader of any successful company. I wish there was a template because, good Lord, if there was a template, we'd need to find those people very, very quickly because I think we're at a crucial time where everything is moving far too quickly and we need quite a few of those tech leaders to actually stop and consider what can and what shouldn't be created. So it's, it's almost as if you see the gap as people who take a step back and look at the fundamentals of why things were created to begin with, why and how they developed into what they are. It, are there any other characteristics that you can think of are lacking right now that you think would help the industry be more well-rounded? I, I think a, a company that employees really want to work at, not just for the money, and you've got to remember a lot of people in the Valley are only there to wait for their stock options to vest and make as much money as they can while they can. What kind of leader do you like to work for? Someone who actually has a human relationship with their employees. And that's very hard. You know, we're in an era now where people get fired by phone. They get fired by email. And the reverse is now happening where employees are quitting without even bothering to give two weeks notice here because it's become relationships between employees and leaders have become... Um, so venal in many senses each side is using each side for whatever they can get in in the shortest term possible so it would be lovely if we had more leaders who um, were able to actually inspire employees to believe they're creating something that is genuinely beneficial to society and not just something that you know sounds like a great app and won't it be great for everybody Chris, thanks so much for your insight here today. I really love that insight you had on the need for finding well-rounded tech leaders who believe in that need to create trust. Thank you very much for having me. It's incredibly good to have these conversations with people who actually work for a bank. <laughs> so naturally, Silicon Valley isn't the only environment where tech is dominating, but it has the best examples of that culture of leadership feeding itself, as Chris discussed. Now that we've talked about leaders on a macro level, let's try and drill down and see what we can do on the ground as a leader. Who should be leading us? So now we're going to patch through our next guest from Zurich, Switzerland, Pascal Kaufmann. Pascal is an AI researcher and an entrepreneur and has done so much work in the field of AI. He's also co-founded a company called Starmind. 
As a tech industry leader himself, we've asked him to give us some insight into what kind of a tech leader we need. Hi, Pascal. Thanks for joining us. Hi. <laughs> so first and foremost, before we get into any of the nitty gritty, how would you describe the state of leadership in the tech industry at the moment? So the state of leadership in the tech industry is, uh, I would say, learning by doing. There is no formal leadership training at universities. There's no formal leadership training at school. So you really learn it by doing and uh, many mistakes are committed. Often uh, uh, the first or the second companies fail and over time entrepreneurs get better and better in becoming good leaders. How did you learn? Well, I learned in the hard way. <laughs> I started very early at school when I wanted to sell my first like uh, uh, solar apples. So apples that grew under the sun. I tried to sell them for five uh, US dollars instead of like uh, one US dollar. <laughs> and uh, I had to motivate the team to do that. So this was my first leadership experience. So you've already touched on something that um, is very uh, dear to my own heart, which is uh, the state of education, especially for technical specialists. So I guess it's interesting. Obviously, there might be a difference between the countries and how they educate their people. But in uh, the UK, especially with accredited engineering degrees, one has to go through a training of professional studies, which to an extent teaches you about the economy. It teaches you a bit about the accountancy principles behind the industry that you'll be going into. So I guess the thing that's lacking that I see is you know, computer scientists not necessarily having that much training in 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 these things that they need to know, i.e. exactly what you're saying in these entrepreneurial skill sets, which will not only help them to start a business, of course, it will help them within a large corporate to sell themselves better, sell what they're doing better. So I think in computer science, you are completely right. There is not a formal education. However, uh, um, it's a lot about project management. So computer scientists learn about how to um, split projects into software junks, how to actually um, um, outsource tasks. Uh, but much worse, it is in neuroscience, for example, or in biology on the, on the life sciences. We have essentially no education in, uh, in leadership. We did not have any education in project management. So uh, definitely, when you're an entrepreneur with a life science background, I think you'll face a hard time. Who do you think is a good example of someone who's coping with the demands of the tech industry today? Well, obviously, it is uh, Jeff Bezos or even Jack Moore. Obviously, they have founded like uh, stellar companies. Uh, it also seems that they have a sustainable business model. And we're talking about Jeff Bezos, founder and CEO of Amazon, and Jack Ma, founder and CEO of the global international corporation of Alibaba. Of course, you always hear things from both sides, but somehow a successful company attracts a lot of talent and he's able to transport the vision, to transport the message. I think these are examples of, of, uh, of leaders that are obviously able to motivate a large, large group of people. You, you spoke a bit about talent um, and their ability to attract uh, the right talent. And obviously that's an important part of the process. But what specifically do you think it is about them that makes them successful? I think as an inspiring leader, you need to be able to communicate to formulate the vision. 
if it's just about the money, uh, then you actually have to pay very, very high salaries. And uh, the best talents in the world are not attracted by loads of, of salaries or by, by huge sums of money. They're attracted by vision and by purpose. So you need to be an excellent communicator. You need to be excellent uh, a motivator of people. And you need to transport the vision that you can buy in. I think these are very important ingredients for an excellent leader. There's an issue here around, um, you know, you follow not only someone who has that great vision and can communicate it, but someone who you trust, right? I mean, that's a big part of it. And how can you trust someone who you don't even think is credible in that position? So I guess, is there a case for saying that specialists should be the leaders of tomorrow? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Is it more about the generalists in the future or is it more about the specialists in the future? Since I work in the field of artificial intelligence, I think AI is much better in siloed uh, know-how. So when it comes to specialized know-how, the machines are way better than human beings are. I think the future belongs much more to the journalists, people that are able to combine disciplines, that are able to think out of the box, and you need to differentiate yourselves against the machines. And I don't think that a specialist can particularly well uh, differentiate himself uh, or herself against the machine. Therefore, I think uh, more in the case of journalists, people that are able to speak the language of many employees, of many departments. Therefore, I would uh, more make the case in favor of journalists. And actually, it's the success of people that also builds up trust. So if you're a successful entrepreneur, a successful leader, but you don't necessarily know exactly what kind of algorithms uh, the company is building, but somehow you lead the company in a very successful path, I also think employees will have a lot of trust in you. But do you think that you actually need a level of understanding of the tech behind your product in order to be credible, in order to be able to motivate your people and communicate effectively? Certainly, a generalist also needs to know uh, uh, in depth about technology, about HR, about many, many topics. But it's a big difference between being a specialist, doing nothing else in 30 years and programming algorithms and uh, understanding principle what the algorithms are built for. Uh, definitely, a generalist also needs to understand very well the product and the technology behind. What I'm hearing is that what we really need is a renaissance man. So someone who is clever at everything. I guess the the thing that I would argue more than anything else is that it's harder to be a generalist and become a specialist than it is to be a specialist and become a generalist. Because ultimately, the an engineering education is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And the fact is, Pascal, you yourself have a PhD in something very, very technical. So the fact that, you know, you might need to become more well-rounded is a very, very good point. But at the same time, I don't think I would feel comfortable being led by someone who didn't have that kind of background. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... I, I did the uh, pilot license in Switzerland and um, I have um, been taught that you should always follow the checklists. You should not trust your own judgment. You should trust the instruments. You should trust the data. I believe in this symbiosis between machine uh, and technology and, and humans. 
So I do not, uh, I would not trust necessarily in a, in a biological human being who is an expert. I would much more trust in someone who in interaction with machines can uh, um, uh, create um, awesome results. So therefore I would derive value and therefore I think just trusting into a, an human expert, I think, uh, I think this falls short. Uh, um, it's the, the reality is much too complicated, much too complex, uh, that a, a singular human brain could cope with that. Therefore, I definitely think it is a symbiosis with tech. You should augment yourself by means of technology and then completely different skills than being an expert in something, uh, come into play. So I think you can outsmart almost any kind of specialist if you work together with machines in the, in, the, in the right way. And therefore, I would much more bet in a generalist and in someone who is a high-tech warrior that actually knows how to uh, use technology to, um, to add value. So that is really interesting. And there's loads of threads that I could delve into. So I know that some of the work your companies are doing are in this vein. But before we get on to that, uh, a hopefully quick detour. So you're talking about machines being able to outsmart specialists. Yes. The interesting thing here is that it's, for me personally, it's not so much about the knowledge itself but the process by which you get to a solution. And I guess my argument would be, if I have to feed in a million, 10 million photos of cats, dogs, horses into an AI or a machine learning algorithm so that it will, with a 50% possibility, realise that a picture of a dog is a dog, that to me is brute force statistics. It's hardly intelligence. And so... Everything ultimately, in my mind, has to be guided by someone who has that ability, who has the training to think in the right way in order to ask the right questions, which then brings me to, are the leaders of today potentially obsolete in that world, the world that you are trying to create even with your companies and your products? So the leaders of today who are basically decision engines, so they require a lot of data and then kind of take a decision. I think uh, this is really not the future. In the future, and there I'm fully aligned with you, it's more about asking the right questions. Uh, I think human beings are for asking the right questions, whereas machines are for providing the right solutions. So definitely it's being able to, to pinpoint uh, the weaknesses, like to, to identify the weaknesses, to identify where issues are, and then to formulate questions and give these questions to machines, definitely. So do you think there is a difference now, leaders of today versus leaders of yesteryear, the more traditional current um, leaders in power? Technology has kind of come up and changed the world that we live in very quickly over the last few years. A lot of people say we're going through something called the fourth industrial revolution. Now, with all of that in mind, do you think there needs to be a change in what a leader is and the characteristics of that leader? I think we are uh, in the midst of this change. Uh, back in the days, it was sufficient for a leader to pay salary. So if you paid the salary and you provided like a, a room, then you could actually run a company and people were happy that they could work uh, for you. I think these days it's turned around. So as an employer, you should be happy to be able to attract talents. So the market has completely changed because 
as a, as, as part of the liquid workforce, uh, why should I work for one employer if I could work for 10 employers at the same time over the internet? There are so many opportunities how I could participate, how I could contribute with my know-how. So an employer really needs to invest in, in much, much more uh, skills and resources when it comes to leadership than back in the days. So today it's more about motivating people, showing purpose, being flexible, offering like uh, working conditions that are stellar. So it's much, much more challenging for an employer these days than it was like 100 years ago. You mentioned what leaders need to do, but we haven't really gone into exactly what those leaders look like. So I don't know, give us an example of what kind of leader you look for in your organizations. I have big respect for all those entrepreneurs who grew uh, tiny startups to big, big corporations because this really took a lot of effort, a lot of persuasion power. So this is actually uh, where you find the best leaders these days. I think in small startups, they have to fight, they have to struggle. And the successful ones, they, o they obviously need to be helped by, uh, by a successful leader. Are you saying that the leaders of large corporations are not struggling? Well, I would say the leaders of large corporations are struggling because of uh, other reasons. So they need to cope with PowerPoint slides, uh, with certain scandals, etc. So these are the struggles of leaders of big, big corporations or of big banks. But when you are the leader of a, of, a, of, a, of a tiny tech company, you are much more focused on the market, on the product, etc. So it's much more about politics, I think, in large corporations than it really is about leadership. Ultimately, I think AI will change just everything. I mean, if you really have human level AI, we don't have this interview again in the future because uh, this stuff will be done by intelligent machines. So it's, it's the concept of an augmented leader. It is, or it's just the concept of a super smart leader. I mean, if you're an intelligent machine, you don't need to read books until you're 64 years old. And then you have one year where you can do something new to science. I think when you're a machine, you have all the know-how of all leaders of the world in your brain. And then I think there will be really interesting companies. So that's interesting because that means that, you know, the, the ideal leader is, is the Renaissance machine, the, the machine that's clever at everything. I like your um, term renaissance leader or renaissance machine. I think the renaissance leader should be a generalist. And I, I cannot imagine that a human being can be a generalist in this very fast uh, paced uh, world. I think there must be a machine ultimately. That was great, Pascal. Thank you for your insights today. Okay. Greens from Switzerland. Bye bye. Well, that's it for this podcast. Thank you all again for listening, subscribing, and writing in about our podcast series, Technically Speaking. If you want to see Borju and I live in person, then come join us at a conference that we're organizing in October in London called Future Fit, upskilling for the tech-powered future. To learn more about the topics we've discussed today and lots of other practical tools, insight, and knowledge, just search NatWest Business Hub or head to natwestbusinesshub.com. Thanks for listening.